Lord God gave me an educated tongue to know how to respond to the weary with a word that will awaken them in the morning. God awakens my ear in the morning to listen as educated people do. The Lord God opened my ear. I didn't rebel. I didn't turn my back. I said I gave my body to attackers and my cheeks to beard pluckers. I didn't hide my face from insults and spitting. The Lord God will help me, therefore I haven't been insulted. Therefore I set my face like flint and I knew I wouldn't be ashamed. The one who will declare me innocent is near. Who will argue with me? Let's stand up together. Who will bring judgment against me? Let him approach me. Look, the Lord God will help me. Who will condemn me? Just 
now begin the readings of the last days of Jesus' life. When the time came, Jesus took his place at the table and the apostles joined him. He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I tell you, I won't eat it until it is fulfilled in God's kingdom. After taking a cup and giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. I tell you that from now on I won't drink from the fruit of the vine until God's kingdom has come. After taking the bread and giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after the meal and said, This cup is the new covenant by my blood, which is poured out for you. But look, my betrayer is with me. His hand is on this table. The human one goes just as it has been determined, but how terrible it is for that person who betrays him. They began to argue among themselves about which of them it could possibly be who would do this. Please turn in your hymnals to number 290, and we'll sing verse 1 of Go to Dark Gethsemane. Simon, Simon, look, Satan has asserted the right to sift you all like wheat. However, I have prayed for you that your faith won't fail. When you have returned, strengthen your brothers and sisters. Peter responded, Lord, I'm ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. Jesus replied, I tell you, Peter, The rooster won't crow today before you have denied three times that you even know me. Jesus left and made his way to the Mount of Olives, as was his custom, and the disciples followed him. When he arrived, he said to them, pray that you won't give in to temptation. He withdrew from them about a stone's throw. He knelt down and prayed, and he said, Father... If it's your will, take this cup of suffering away from me. However, not my will, but your will must be done. Then a heavenly angel appeared to him and strengthened him, and he was in anguish, and he prayed even more earnestly. His sweat became like drops of blood falling on the ground. When he got up from praying, he went to the disciples. He found them asleep, overcome by grief, and he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray so that you won't give in to the temptation. While Jesus was still speaking, a crowd appeared, and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the human one with a kiss? 
When those around him recognized what was about to happen, they said, Lord, should we fight with our swords? One of them struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. Jesus responded, Stop! No more of this! And he touched the slave's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers, the temple guard, and the elders who had come to get him, Have you come with swords and clubs to arrest me as though I were a thief? Day after day I was with you in the temple, but you didn't arrest me. But this is your time when darkness rules. After they arrested Jesus, they led him away and brought him to the high priest's house. Peter followed from a distance. When they lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Then a servant woman saw him sitting in the firelight. She stared at him and said, This man was with him too. But Peter denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. A little while later, someone else saw him and said, You are one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I'm not. An hour or so later, someone else insisted, This man must have been with him because he is a Galilean too. Peter responded, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. At that very moment, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And Peter remembered the Lord's words. Before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and cried uncontrollably. We'll sing verse 2. The men who were holding Jesus in custody taunted him while they beat him. They blindfolded him and asked him repeatedly, Prophecy, who hit you? They insulted him. They said many horrible, terrible things against him. As morning came, the elders of the people, both chief priests and legal experts, came together and Jesus was brought before their council. They said, If you are the Christ, tell us. He answered, If I tell you, you won't believe. And if I ask you a question, you won't answer. But from now on, the human one will be seated at the right side of the power of God. They all said, Are you God's son then? He replied, You say that I am. Then they said, Why do we need further testimony? We've heard it from his own lips. The whole assembly got up and led Jesus to Pilate and began to accuse him. They said, we have found this man misleading our people, opposing the payment of taxes to Caesar and claiming that he is the Christ, the king. Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, 
That's what you say. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no legal basis for action against this man. But they objected strenuously, saying, He agitates the people with his teachings throughout Judea, starting from Galilee all the way here. Hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was from Herod's district, Pilate sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Herod was very glad to see Jesus, for he had heard about Jesus and had wanted to see him for quite some time. He was hoping to see Jesus perform some sign. Herod questioned Jesus at length, but Jesus didn't respond to him. The chief priests and the legal experts were there, fiercely accusing Jesus. Herod and his soldiers treated Jesus with contempt. Herod mocked him by dressing Jesus in elegant clothes and sent him back to Pilate. Pilate and Herod became friends with each other that day. Before this, they had been enemies. Then Pilate called together the chief priests and the rulers, and the people. And he said to them, You brought this man before me as one who was misleading the people. I have questioned him in your presence and found nothing in this man's conduct that provides a legal basis for the charges that you have brought against him. Neither did Herod, because Herod has returned him to us. He's done nothing that deserves death, Therefore, I'll have him whipped, and then I will let him go. But with one voice they shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison because of a riot that occurred in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them again because he wanted to release Jesus. But they kept shouting out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Crucify him! The third time, Pilate said to them, Why? What's wrong? What wrong has he done? I found no legal basis for the death penalty in this case. Therefore, I will have him whipped and I will let him go. But they were adamant shouting their demand that Jesus be crucified. And their loud voices won out. And Pilate issued his decision to grant their request. And he released the one that they asked for, Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison because of a riot and murder. But he handed over Jesus to their will. Mercy. Crucifixion.
As they led Jesus away, they grabbed Simon, a man from Cyrene, who was coming in from the countryside. They put the cross on his back and made him carry it behind Jesus. A huge crowd of people followed Jesus, including women who were mourning and wailing for him. Jesus turned to the woman and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't cry for me. Rather, cry for yourselves and your children. The time will come when they say, Happy are those who are unable to become pregnant, the wombs that never gave birth, and the breasts that never nursed a child. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. If they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? They also led two other criminals to be executed with Jesus. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. They drew lots as a way of dividing up his clothing. The people were standing around watching, but the leader sneered at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he really is the Christ sent from God, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him. They came up to him offering sour wine and saying, If you really are the king of Jews, save yourself. Above his head was a notice of the formal charge against him. And it read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging next to Jesus insulted him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Responding, the other criminal spoke harshly to him. Don't you fear God, seeing that you've also been sentenced to die? We are rightly condemned, for we are receiving the appropriate sentence for what we did. But this man has done nothing. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you that today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon and darkness covering the whole earth until about three o'clock while the sun stopped shining. Then the curtain in the sanctuary tore down the middle, crying out in a loud voice. Jesus said, Father, into your hands I entrust my life. After he said this, he breathed for the last time. Turn to 288 and sing verses 1 through 3.
Jesus' burial. When the centurion saw what happened, he praised God, saying, It's really true. This man was righteous. All the crowds who had come together to see this event returned to their homes, beating their chests after seeing what had happened. And everyone who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance observing things. Now there was a man named Joseph who was a member of the council. He was a good and righteous man. He hadn't agreed with the plan and action of the council. He was from the Jewish city of Arimathea and eagerly anticipated God's kingdom. This man went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Taking it down, he wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid it in a tomb carved out of the rock in which no one had ever been buried. It was the preparation day for the Sabbath, and the Sabbath was quickly approaching. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph. They saw the tomb and how Jesus' body was laid in it. Then they went away and prepared fragrant spices and perfumed oils. They rested on the Sabbath in keeping with the commandments. We'll sing verses 1 and 5. Gracious God, we've heard the story of your passion once again. May we consider the cost of your grace and the freedom that you brought to each one of us and the new life of your resurrection. The people of God said together, Amen. Today all begins to end, to begin again. We emerge this week from our wilderness wanderings, find ourselves caught up in a parade, a big party, 
a procession of palms. And thanks for the people who made the palm crosses that we'll have at the end to carry through the whole week to Jerry and Misla and all those who came on Saturday night and did that for us. It's been done for thousands of years. It's been a long journey to arrive at the gates of Jerusalem where Jesus was will make his great and grand entry into the very center of political power and all of the religious authority. We have followed the sounds of Hosanna, Lord save us, to this very moment. We have spent almost 40 days remembering who we are and whose we are. We have spent weeks returning our hearts to the heart of God. As pilgrims on this Lenten journey, we have devoted the last five weeks to intentionally imitating Christ and repenting and coming together and embracing the new thing that God is already doing within us and among us. It has been a season of turning and returning our hearts to the one whose promises we learned are bigger than the stars. A season of fasting from the things that harm while feasting on the things that bring grace. And if we have walked the pathway in purposeful prayer, in self-reflection, then we discover a new place in our hearts that is ready to follow Him. This season has hopefully reshaped our aching and breaking hearts. The entire journey up until this point is what has prepared us in our hearts to enter into these final days of Lent. To walk with Jesus. To remember His final days on this earth. To endure the Via Dolorosa, the way of sorrow and suffering, His heartache and His horror. And the scripture tells us that Jesus, with determination, set his face towards Jerusalem in Luke 9:51. And the time had now come to enter the city. You see, Luke's gospel began in Jerusalem with Zechariah in the temple and with the infant Jesus. Remember Christmas, blessed there by Simeon and Anna. And we are told that Jesus is the one who will bring salvation. And it's Anna who added that he will redeem Jerusalem. The drama of the passion is a bookend in this gospel that at long last brings Jesus and the holy city back together again. As the Jewish people filled the city to remember God's acts of liberation and delivering the Hebrews from slavery in Egypt, there's tension. Anticipation would have been in the air everywhere that they went. Nervousness. As the Roman Empire crushed and oppressed God's people, Pilate made the trip into town to maintain law and order like he had done before by slaughtering thousands. Pilate must have entered the city this time in a procession of power and an armored army to make sure that nothing would happen to disturb the peace. And in stark contrast to this display of military might, we find ourselves in Luke 29, 19-29, to start off our text today. And I invite you to follow along in your version event. 
or in your Bible in front of you as we hear this scripture once again. When he had come there, Bethpage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. Jesus arrived just before Passover feast, and he instructs two of the disciples to borrow a colt for him to ride. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. When its owners ask the two what they're doing, the answer is Jesus told them, just as he had need of the colt, maybe Jesus has need of us to be on this journey with him. Maybe it raises the question for each of us on this Palm Sunday, are we ready to carry the weight of the gospel to those around us? Are we ready to carry the weight of the gospel that he has placed with us? To carry the good news beyond the parade into the rough places where darkness and death overwhelm. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. And so after a cloak is spread on the colt for Jesus, and more laid on the road, the simple parade begins. Kings and Caesars would ride war horses into cities as signs of their victory. But in Luke, Jesus rode into town on a colt. It's a procession of humility, of gentleness. It's a demonstration of meekness and vulnerability. And as he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. You see, instead of a big show of military might with armed followers, Jesus defies expectations, comes in a different way. He doesn't rally the crowds to incite revolt and to get ready for a fight. His coming invites in them the response of this, the last part of that verse, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Peace in heaven. That's the war cry that they shout out as they gather together as this army. Peace. Maybe by now you've probably noticed there's something missing from this parade in Luke's version. Anybody notice what's missing in this parade in Luke's version? Anybody? There's no palms. There's no palms in Luke's version of this story whatsoever. They spread instead what? Cloaks. Not palms. Instead of waving signs of victory and of paradise like in the other Gospels, Luke emphasizes instead the act of spreading cloaks on the ground. You see, Luke is emphasizing the joyous nature of Jesus' arrival. He steeps it in more of a sacrificial, a humble tone to lay down cloaks that would be muddied and soiled, torn and damaged, probably not usable. 
It's an act of deep reverence to lay down your cloak that you only have one of in front of a cult and people are going to trample over your stuff. And so as we in our sanctuaries are lifting and we're waving our palm branches back and forth, perhaps there's an own action of our own that we have to do to lay down. There's a certain act in doing that. It's One thing is waving them, but when you actually come forward to lay them down, to, to give them up, to stop the celebration and to do that act of reverence, maybe we also lay down ways of living that do not honor God, that do not honor our neighbor and all life around us. Can we lay those things down? As we lift up our voices, crying out for an end to injustice and suffering, might we also lay down our lives, allowing Christ to fill them with humility? Because the acts that are being shown here are not acts of arrogance. They are acts of humility. And maybe the new beginnings of hope. And as we lift up our palms with songs to bless the one who comes in peace, may we also lay down the sacrificial, superficial cries of victory and triumph. As we lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord, might we also lay down in our hearts until they burn with desire for God's heart, to be broken by the things that break God's heart the most. And in our lifting up and laying down to die, maybe God might just weave into us a tapestry of resurrection, of new life. The triumphant parade with shouts of joy and blessing will cause our hearts to rise and swell to the highest height. That's the Palm Sunday part. Why the service begins with so much going on all at the same time and why it looks so different because it needs to shock us. It needs to catch our attentions. It needs to be different. But the excitement of the party parade where Jesus is accepted by the crowds will fade. It always does. And preparing with all our hearts as we will slip to the depths of despair and Jesus is rejected. Holy Week brings us to a space and a time for lament and for struggle and sorrow. Time slows and we will walk through betrayal and unanswered prayers into darkness and death. We have done the work to prepare our hearts to walk from the procession to the table, from the cross to the stone-cold slab of the tomb. That is the passion part. Paul also speaks of Jesus' up and down journey in Philippians 2, 6 through 11. That's a cosmic movement moving downward from equality with God to emptying, then to slave, to humility, and obedience to death. And then upward as God exalts and gives Jesus a power, a position of power, and then resurrected glory with God the Father, Paul says in that scripture. And he ends that scripture by saying, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? But that's the cycle. 
And so during Holy Week to close, we will see many images of Jesus. Jesus beaten as a false Messiah. And then enduring suffering on the cross. Jesus willingly arrested and mocked. Jesus hailed as King of the Jews. Jesus as humble King. Jesus as a teacher of the new law. And at the end, Jesus as gloriously resurrected and knew the new beginning of Easter. The story continues. And we have prepared our feet to follow its path with a hope that is stronger than despair, a light that is stronger than any darkness, and a love that is stronger than any death. Nothing can stop the love. Nothing can stop the light. Nothing can stop the resurrection. It is Friday, but Sunday is coming. Amen? Always. In our own lives, in the life of our world. And then the last two verses always catch me the most out of this text. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. And I love Jesus' answer. He answers, I tell you, if these, my disciples, were silent, the stones themselves would cry out. Hosanna, Lord, save us. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Amen.
contemporary, traditional, or any other kind of worship, then when I survey the wondrous cross. So let us stand and sing. When I survey the wondrous cross. These words that have rung out.
so divine demands my soul, my life, my all. May we give Jesus our all this week. Walk with him. Take the journey, whether it's here with us or at home. Walk with him one bitter hour. Walk with him to the cross. And then wait with him on Easter morning when the tomb is empty. And we say, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen.